0: 12. Is that Lord John Russell should have penned so long an address to the citizens of London, only the day before his wedding. For ourselves, we think, it would have augured a far worse compliment to a Lady John had he written it the day after. These gentlemen very properly look upon marriage as a most awful ceremony, and would, therefore, indirectly compliment the nerve of a statesman who pens a political manifesto with the torch of Hymen in his eyes, and the whole house odorous of wedding cake in the like manner have we known the last signature of an unfortunate gentleman, about to undergo a great public and private change, eulogized for the firmness and clearness of its letters, with the perfect mastery of the supplementary flourish. However, what is written is written, whether penned to the rustling of bridesmaids' sands, or the surplus of the consolatory ordinary whether to the anticipated music of a marriage peal, or to the more solemn accompaniment of the bell of street sepulchres. Ha! Lord John! had you only spoken out a little year ago had you only told Her Majesty's Commons while you told the livery of London then, at this moment, you had been no more of a minister than had Sir Robert Peel been as far from Street James's as he has ever been from Chatham, but so it is, the with ministry, like martyr trappists, had died rather than open their mouths, they would not hear the counsel of their friends, and they refused to speak out to their enemies, they retire from office with, at least, This distinction they are henceforth honorary members of the Asylum for the Deaf and Dumb. Again, the Whigs are victims to their inherent sense of politeness to their instinctive observance of courtesy towards the Tories. There has been no bold defiance no challenge to mortal combat for the cause of public good, but one Whig has called out Tory. It has been in picked and holiday freeze, as if a brother should a brother dare, to gentle exercise and proof of arms. For a long time the people had expected to see cracked crowns and bloody noses, and at length, with true John Bull disgust, turned from the ring, convinced that the Whigs, whatever play they might make, would never go in and fight. But had the Tories been correspondingly courteous, by no means, the generosity of politeness has been holy with the Whigs, they, like frolics youths at a carnival have pelted their antagonists with nothing harder than sugar plums with eggshells filled with rose water, while the Tauris have acknowledged such holiday missiles with showers of brick bets and eggs not filled with aromatic dew. What was the result? The Tauris increased in confidence and strength with every new assault, whilst the battered wigs, from their sheer pusillanimity, became noisome in the nostrils of the country. At length, the loaves and fishes being about to be carried off, the wigs speak out, like sulky master Johnny, who, pouting all dinner time, with his finger in his mouth, suddenly finds his tongue when the apple dumplings are to be taken from the table. Then does he advance his plate, seize his ivory knife and fork, put on a look of determined animation, and cry aloud for plenty of paste, plenty of fruit, and plenty of sugar. And then Mrs. Tory it must be confessed a wicked old mother Cole in her time with a face not unlike the countenance of a certain venerable paramur at a baptismal rite, declares upon her hopes of immortality that the child shall have nothing of the sort, there being nothing so dangerous to the constitution as plenty of flour, plenty of fruit, and plenty of sugar. Therefore, there is a great uproar with Master Johnny, the house, to use a familiar phrase, is turned out of the windows, the neighborhood is roused, Master Johnny rallies his friends about him, that i and all the other boys of the court, and the fight begins. Johnny and his mates make a very good fight, but certain heavy bucking and sheer countrymen fellows of 50 Stone are brought to the assistance of that screaming Belgian to Mother Tory, and poor Master Johnny has no other election than to listen to the shouts of triumph that declare there never shall be plenty of flour, plenty of sugar, or, in a word, plenty of pudding. However, Lord Russell is not discouraged. No, he says, There shall be cakes and ale, and ginger shall be hot eye the mouth. 2. We only trust that his lordship's manifesto is not tinged by those feelings of hope and in the case of his lordship we may add, resignation that animate most men about to enter wedlock. We trust he does not confound his own anticipations of happiness with the prospects of the country, for in allusion to the probable policy of the Torah's, he says, return to office they may adopt our measures, and submit to the influence of reason, reason from the Stanleys, reason from the Goulburns, reason from the Aberdeens. When the Marquess of Londonderry shall have discovered the longitude, and Colonel Sithorpe have found out the Philosopher's Stone, we may then begin to expect the greater miracle. The Whigs, according to Lord Russell's letter, have really done so much when out of power, and as he insinuates, are again ready to do so much the instant they are expelled the treasury that for the sake of the country, it must be a matter of lamentation if ever they get in again. Punch and Sir John Pollen. Unch, We regret to state was taken into custody on Monday night at a late hour, on a warrant, for the purpose of being bound over to keep the peace towards Sir John Pollen, Bart. the circumstances giving rise to this affair will be better explained by a perusal of the following correspondence, which took place between ourselves and Sir John, on the occasion, a copy of which we subjoined, Wellington Street, July 30, 1841, Sir, I had this moment read in the Morning Chronicle, The correspondence between you and Lord William Paget, wherein you are reported to say that your recent defeat at the Andover election was affected by tampering with some of the smaller voters who would have voted for Punch or any other puppet, and that such expressions were not intended to be personally offensive to Lord William Paget, the members of Her Majesty's puppetry not permitting derogatory conclusions to be drawn at their expense. I call upon you to state whether the above assertions are correct, and if so, whether, in the former case, you intended to allude personally to myself, or my friend Colonel Sithorpe, or, in the latter, to infer that you considered Lord W. Page it in any way our superior, I had the honor to be, Sir, your obedient servant, Punch, Sir John Pollen, Bart, Rednam, July 30, 1841, Signor, I have just received a note in which you complain of a speech made by me at Andover. I have sent express for my Lord Wilkshire, and will then endeavor to recollect what I did say. I had the honor to be, your admirer, John Pollen, to Senior Punch, White Hart, Senior. My friend Lord Wilkshire has just arrived. It is his opinion that, I did use the terms, Punch, or any other puppet, but I intended them to have been highly complimentary, as applied to a Lord William Paget. I had the honor to be, your increased admirer, John Pollen. To Senior Punch, Wellington Street. Sir, I and the Colonel are perfectly satisfied. Yours ever. Punch, Wellington Street. My Lord, it would have afforded me satisfaction to have consulted the wishes of Sir John Paulin in regard to the publication of this correspondence. The zeal of Sir John's friends have left me no choice in the matter. I shall print. Your obedient servant, Punch, Earl of Wiltshire. Thus ended this humfreachy M. By the Amesworth's, Guy Fox. A city friend met us the other morning, Harky, said he. Alderman Humphrey has been selling shares of the Blackwall Railway, which were not in his possession, and when the directors complained, and gave him notice that they would bring his conduct before a full meeting, inviting him at the same time to attend, and vindicate or explain his conduct as he best might, he not only declined to do so, but hurried off to Dublin. Now, I want to know this, And he took me by the button. Why was Alderman Humphrey, when he ran away to Dublin, like the boy who ripped up his goose which laid golden eggs? We were fain to give it up. Because, said he, with a cruel dig in the ribs, because he cut his lucky, the boy Jones's log, picked up at sea. The following interesting narrative of the sufferings of the youth Jones, whose indefatigable pursuit of knowledge, under the most discouraging circumstances, has been the cause of his banishment to a distant shore. Was lately picked up at sea in a sealed bottle by a homeward-bound East Indiaman, and since placed in our hands by the captain of the vessel, who complimented us by saying he felt such confidence in Punch's honor and honesty. These were his very words that he unhesitatingly confided to him the precious document, in order that it might be given to the world without alteration or curtailment. We hasten to realize the captain's flattering estimate of our character. At sea, on board the ship Apollo. June 30th, so soon as the festage tattion of my mind is wore off, I take up my pen to put my sentiments on paper, in hopes that my friends as knows the misfortune which has occurred to me, may think off me when I'm far away, Horace, sir, the victim of that cruel bluebeard, Lord Melbourne, who got afeard of my rising popularity in the palace, and has sent me to see for my keeping, though, heaven knows, I was actuated by the purest motifs in what I did. The real facts of the case island I'm a young man of an idly culty wadded mind and a very inquisitive disposition, which naturally led me to the use of the pen. I had also been in the habit of reading Jack Shepard, and I may add, that I owe all my elegant tastes to the perusal of that vaccinating book. Oh, what a noble mind the author of these woollooms must have! What a fruitful in what and fine feelings he displays, what a delicate wheel he throws over the piccadillies of his earl making petty larceny lovely, and burglarly beautiful. However, I don't mean now to enter into a regular cricketism of this extraordinary work, but merely to observe. When I read it first, I felt a boast for literary fame spring up in my bosom, and I thought I should to be an author, and fortunate delusion. That thought has proved my reward. It was the bean of my life, and the destroyer of my peace. From that moment I could think of nothing else, I neglected my widows and my master and wandered about like a night errand boy who had forgotten his message. Sleek deserted my lowly pillar, and, like a walkful shepherd, I lay all night awake amongst my flocks. I had got hold of a single idea it was the axle of my mind, and, like a wheelbarrow, my head was always turning upon it. At last I resolved to write, and I cast my eyes about for a subject they fell on the palace, here, as my friend Bolu or Southeast's. Here was a field for genus to soar into, here was an area for philophosy to dive into, here was a truly magnificent and comprehensive design for a great national picture. I had got a splendid title, to not for myself I've a soul above such trumpery but for my book. Boys like Humane Beings a good title goes a great way with the crowd, the one I had chose for my shed oof, was, Pencilings in the Palace, or, A Small Voice from the Royal Larder, with comic illustrations by Fizz or Crockville. Mr. Bentley wanted to be engaged as monthly nurse for my expected progeny, and an afrojinman, whose name shall be never heard, offered to go shears with me. If I'd consent to cut wound the court ladies. Mumber, southeast sigh indignantly. I leave court scandal to my betters, I'd go on independent principles into the palace. And that's more than Lord Melbourne, or Sir Robert Peel, or any one of the insiders or outsiders ever could or ever can say of themselves. That's what I said then. But now I think, while a cussed fool I was, all my eye-flown bubbles were fated to be busted and melted, like the wigs, into thin hair. Nong port! We gets wiser as we gets genteel reader. I beg your parting, I'm better now. Bless me! How the ship waggles! It's really awful, the sailors only laugh at it, but I suppose as they're all tars they don't mind being pitched a little, the captain tells me we are now regularly at sea, having just passed the north foreland, so According to custom, I begin my journal, or, as naw idle men call it to keep my log, twelve o'clock, wind, all in my eye, mate said we had our larboard tax aboard never heard of that tax on shore, told me I should learn to box the compass tried, but couldn't do it so boxed the cabbing boy instead, captain several times called to a man who was steering, port, port, but though he always answered, Aye, I, I, sir, he didn't bring him a drop. The black cook fell into the hold on the top of his head. Everybody said he was gone to Davy Jones's locker, but he weren't. For he soon came to again, drank one to a pint of rum, and declared it was saw a young sailor sitting on the top of one of the masts thought of Dibding's famous sea song, and asked if he weren't the sweet little cherub that sits up aloft, man laughed, and said it were only Bill Junk clearing the pennant halyards. One o'clock thought formerly that every sailor wore his pigtail at the back of his head. Like Mr. Tippy Cook find I labored under a gross mistake they all carry their pigtail in their backy boxes. When I beheld the sailors working and heaving, and found that I was also beginning to heave too, I couldn't help repeating the bars of the old song which fitted my case exactly, there's the captain he is our commander, there's the boss and all the ship's crew, there's the married men as well as the single, can as what we poor sailors goes through. However, I made up my mind not to look inward on my own woes any longer, so I put my head out of a hole in the side of the ship and, my whiskers, how she did was along, saw the white cliffs of hell by on a long way off, which brought tears in my eye thinking of those I had left behind, particular Sally Martin the young gal I was paying my attentions to, who gave me a lock of her air when I was a-leaving of the quay, oh, Lord Melbourne, Lord Melbourne. How can you rest in your four-post bed at night, knowing you had broke the ties of affixion and divided two fond arts forever? The small and reflection threw me into a poetic leffet, and though I was weary uneasy in my stomach, and had nothing to write on but my chest, I threw off as follows in a few to end ease, and our Gerard sung it to the well-known hereof, Willie Riley, O oh, come to me, ye sailors bold, what plows upon the sea, to you I mean for to unfold my mournful hysteria so pay attention to my song, and quick Emily shall appear, how innocently, all along, I was in well out here, one night, returning home to bed, I walked through Pimley Company and, twigging of the palace, said, I'm Jones and in I go, but afore I could get out, my boy's pal is a man twenty-eight, he caught me by the cordialis, and lugged me right away, my guess upon Lord Melbourne, and on Johnny Russ also, that forked me from my native land across the waves to go Oh, But all their spiteful arts is wane. My spirit down to keep, I hopes I'll soon get back again. To take another peep. The nautical mode of writing, oh, come to me. Printer's devil. Two o'clock. Bell rung for all hands to come down to dinner. Thought I never saw dirtier hands in my life. They call their dinner, a mess, on broadship. And a precious mess it did look no bread but hard biscuit and plenty of ship's rolls. Besides Biled Pork and Peasfoot both these articles seemed ray for queer felt my stomach growing queer to God on deck, and asked where we were was told we were in the Straits of Dover, I never was in such dreadful straits in my life ship leaning very much on one side, which made me feel like a man three o'clock, weather getting rather worse than better, mine very uneasy, Captain says we shall have plenty of squalls tonight, and I heard him just now tell the mate to look to the main shrouds, so I suppose it's all dicky with us, and that this log will be my sad epilogue. The idea of being made fish meat was so horrible to my sensitive mind, that I couldn't refrain from weeping, which made the captain send me downstairs, to vent my sorrows in the cable tears. Five o'clock. I'm sure we shan't through this night. Therefore I have determined to put my heavy log into an empty rum bottle, and throw it overboard. In box it may be picked up by some person who will bear my sad tale to my dear Sally and now I conclude with this short advice, let all you men take warning by my cruel fate, let them abide bad company and keep out of the palace, and above all, let them mind their businesses on dry land, and never cast their fortunes on any main, like their in Fortinet servant, the boy Jones, the two Macbeths, o are the haymarket Gemini, o Gemini crimini Mimini the many representatives of the tartan hero. Who wildly tear a passion into a rags more ragged than the hags that round about the cauldron go? Murderers who murder Shakespeare so that state of murdering sleep ye do not do it, but vice versa send the audience to it. And oh, but no illustrious Macbeth already, and thou oh, small quack of plodding greedy, power pen, deserted by the tuneful muses to write on such a barren theme, refuses. Theatre Royal, Drury Lane political promenade and conservative concerts, the most splendid night of the season, Friday, the 20th of August, Captain Earl night, British champagne and the British Constitution, the Church, the State, and real Earl, the performances will commence with fish out of water, Sam Savory Captain Reese, R. N., after which, his first champagne, which will embrace the whole strength of the stewards, in the course of the evening, the enlightened licensed those zealous admirers of true British spirit will parade the room amid a grand display of election accounts, to be followed by a grand pantomime, called Harlequin Humbug, OR. Bravo, Arulius. Old glory afterwards, Pandaloon Sir FBURDADE, who has kindly offered his services on this occasion. Harry Humbug a true British sailor, afterwards Harlequin, CAPD, Parolius, Don WHISKRA Indios afterwards clown, call s-i-b-d-h-o-r-p, the whole to conclude with a grand melange of hats, coats, and umbrellas, tickets to be had at any price, Stretchers to be at the doors at half past two, and policemen to take up with their heads towards Bow Street, the IV-80 Regina, the advantages of animal magnetism, the experiments of M. Delafonte having again raised an outcry against this noble science, from the apparent absence of any benefit likely to arise from it, Beyond converting human beings into pincushions and galvanic dummies, we, who look deeper into things than the generality of the world, hail it as an inestimable boon to mankind, and proceed at once to answer the numerous inquirers as to the kibono of this novel soporific. By a judicious application of the mesmeric fluid, the greatest domestic comfort can be ensured at the least possible trouble. The happiest Benedict is too well aware that ladies will occasionally exercise their tongues in a way not altogether compatible with marital ideas of quietude. A few passes of the hand, in the way of kindness for he who would, and see. Vidi Tobin will now silence the most powerful oral battery, and tacitus himself might, with the aid of mesmerism, pitch his study in a milliner's workroom. Henpecked husbands have now other means at their command, to secure quiet, than their razors and their garters. We have experimentalized upon our duty, and find it answer to a miracle. Mrs. Johnson may shut up her laboratory for American soothing syrup. Mesmerism is the only panacea for those morning and evening infantile ebullit ions which affectionate mom is always assigned to the teeth, the wind, or a pain in the stomach, and never to that possible cause, a pain in the temper. Mesmerism is the real blessing to mothers, and Ilyots and the Mrs. Johnson of the day. We have tried it upon our punchinony and find it superior to our old practice of throwing him out of the window. Lovers, to you it is a boon sent by Cupid. Mamas, who will keep in the room when your bosoms are bursting with adoration fathers, who will wake on the morning of an elopement, when the last trunk and the parrot are confided to you from the window bailiffs, who will hunt you up and down their bailiwick, even to the church door. Though an heiress is depending upon your character for weekly payments all are rendered powerless and inobtrusive by this inexplicable palmistry candidates, save your money, mesmerize your opponents instead of bribing them, and you may become a patriot by a show of hands, these are a few of its social advantages its political uses are unbounded. why not mesmerize the Chinese, and, as for the Chartists, call out Delafonte instead of the magistrates a few mesmeric passes would be an easy and efficient substitute for the right act, then the powers of clairvoyance the faculty of seeing with their eyes shut that it gives to the patient. Mrs. Ratsetti, your royal charge might be soothed and instructed at the same time, by substituting a sheet of punch for the purple and fine linen of her little royal highness's nautilus shell. Lord John Russell, the policy of your wily adversary would no longer be concealed. Jealous husbands, do you not see a haven of security? For brick walls may be seen through, and letters read in the pocket of your rival, by this magnetic telescope, whilst studious young gentlemen may place Homer under their arms. And study Greek without looking at it. Fashionable intelligence. The Marquis of Waterford and party visited Vauxhall Gardens on Monday. The turnpike man on the bridge was much struck by their easy manner of dealing with their inferiors. Alderman Magneti laid the first shell of an oyster grotto one night this week in the minorities. There was a large party of boys, who, with the worthy alderman, repaired to a neighboring fruit stall, where the festivity of the occasion was kept up for several minutes. The new cut was as usual, a scene of much animation on Saturday last, and there was rather a more brilliant display than customary of new and elegant baked potato stands. The well-known turnout, with five lanterns and four apertures for the steam, was the general admiration of the host of pedestrians who thronged the cut between the hours of 8 and 12 on Saturday. A better draft, Sir R. Peel, in the celebrated medicinal metaphor with which he lately favoured his constituents at Tamworth, concludes by stating, That he really believes he does more than any political physician ever did by referring to the prescriptions which he offered in 1835 and 1840. And by saying that he sees no reason to alter them. The silent to carry out the physical figure. Only another version of the mixture as before. We are afraid there are no hopes of the patient. Why are the wigs like the toes of a dancing master? Because they must be turned out. Why are Colonel Sithorpe and Mr. Peter Borthwick like the covering of the dancing master's toes? because they are a pair of pumps. Why are the wigs and tories like the scarlet fever and the measles? Because there's no telling which is the worst. A hint to the ugly. My uncle Septimus is is no more. Excellent old man. No one knew his worthiness whilst he was of the living, for everyone called him a scoundrel. It is reserved for me to do justice to his memory, and one short sentence will be sufficient for the purpose he has left me five thousand pounds. I have determined that his benevolence shall not want an imitator, and I have resolved, that a great personal sacrifice, to benefit that portion of my fellow creatures who are denominated ugly, I am particularly so, my complexion is a bright snuff color, my eyes are gray, and in protected by the usual verandas of eyelashes, my nose is retrousse, and if it has a bridge, it must be of the suspension order, for it is decidedly concave, I wish Rennie would turn his attention to the state of numerous noses in the metropolis. I am sure a lucrative company might be established for the purpose of erecting bridges to noses that, like my own, have been unprovided by nature. I should be happy to become a director. Revenons news my mouth is decidedly large, and my teeth singularly irregular. My father was violently opposed to drive Jenner's repeal of the smallpox, and would not have me vaccinated the consequence of which has been that my chin is full of little dells, thickly studded with dark and stunted bristles. I have bunions and legs that as the right line of beauties curve, for the perfection of symmetry. My poor mother used to lament what she, in the plenitude of her ignorance, was pleased to denominate my disadvantages. She knew not the power of genius. To me these well, I'll call them defects have been the source of great profit. For years I have walked about the great metropolis without any known or even conjectural means of subsistence, my coat has always been without a patch, my linen without spot. Baileys, ugly brothers, I am about to impart to you the secret of my existence. I have lived by the fine arts yes, by sitting as a model for door knockers and cherubim for two stones. The latter may perhaps surprise you, but the contour of my countenance is decidedly infantile for when had a babia bridge? and the addition of a penny trumpet completes the full-blown expression of the light-headed things known to stonemasons as cherubim, but it is to the art of knocker designing that I flatter myself I have been of most service, by the elevation of my chin, and the assistance of a long wig, I can present an excellent resemblance of a lion, with this great advantage over the real animal I can vary the expression according to circumstances, as mild as milk, or raging as the storm. So that nervous single ladies need not be terrified out of their senses every time they knock at their door. By the grim personification of a Nero at feeding time, or a tender heart poor law guardian be pestered during dinner by invitations afforded to the starving poor by the benevolent expression of his knocker. Ugly ones. I have now imparted to you my secret. On the popularity of Mr. Chapter SKNO. Mr. Punch. What glorious times are these. For humbly gifted minds, when. Spite of each detractor, paternal name and filial love, assisted by the powers above, hath made C.S.K. an actor. These true, his generous patrons say, of genius he ne'er had a ray. Yet all his faults to smother, the youth inherits from his sire a name which all the world admire and dearly loves. His mother, stripped of his adventitious aid, he ne'er ten pounds a week had made. Yet every thespian brother is now kept down or put to flight while he gets fifty pounds a night, because he loves his mother, though I'm, in heart and soul, a friend to genuine talent, Heaven not forfend that I should raise a pother, because the philanthropic folks link and applaud a pious folks, for one who loves his mother, no, heaven prolong his parents life and grant that no untimely strife nay wean them from each other, for soon he'd find the golden fleece slip from his grasp, should he ear cease to keep and love his mother, a con, By Colonel S-I-B-D-H-O-R-P Why is a chestnut horse Going at a rapid pace up an inclined plane Like an individual in white trousers Presenting a young lady in book muslin With an infantine specimen of the canine species Because he is giving a gallop up a girl a pup The drama A.S.T.A. company at the Olympic The distresses of actors distress nobody but themselves A tale of woe told off the stage by a broad comedian Begets little sympathy And if he is in the heavy line People say he is used to it, and is only acting playing off upon you a melancholy joke, that he may judge how it will tell at night. Thus, when misfortune takes a benefit, charity seldom takes tickets, for she is always skeptical about the so-called miseries of the most giddy, volatile, jolly, careless, and complaining where managers and bad parts are not concerned vainest, and apparently, happiest possible members of the community, who are so completely associated with fiction. That they are hardly believed when telling the truth. Par example, nothing can be more true than that Astley's theater was burnt down the other day, that the whole of that large establishment were suddenly thrown out of employ, that their wardrobes were burnt to a rags, their properties reduced to a cinder, and their means of subsistence roasted in a too rapid fire. True also is it, that to keep the wolf from their own doors, those of the Olympic have been opened, where the really dismounted cavalry of Astley's are continuing their campaign having appealed to the public to support them. Judging from the night we were present, that support has been extended with a degree of lukewarmness which is exactly proportionate to the effect produced by the appeals of actors when misfortune overtakes them. But, besides public sympathy, they put forth other claims for support. The amusements they offer are of extraordinary merit. The acting of Mr. H. Whittacombe, of Miss Daly, and Mr. Sidney Forster, was In the piece we saw, the old house at home, full of nature and quiet touches of feeling scarcely to be met with on any other stage. Still these are qualifications that, general, do not always appreciate, though they often draw tears. They seldom draw money. Very well. To meet that deficiency, other and more popular actors have come forward to offer their aid. Mr. T.P. Cook has already done his part, as he always does it. nobly. The same may be said of Mr. Hammond. W.